so not the area. And I hope you won't hold it against me that I'm a Packers fan, so. Oh, I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Pastor's been praying for deliverance. He wants me to switch to Ohio State, but I told him I'm not doing that. There's, there's a line I can't cross, and that's the one right there. I can't cross that line. All right. Why don't we go ahead and uh, pray really quick, and then we'll, then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for today, God, for another day of that breath that we just sang about, that breath in our lungs, that the breath that you put there in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 when you breathed into Adam and made him a living being, created in your image. And God, I thank you that today um, that you would speak, that your revelation light would come forth and that we would, be, we would be listeners that would do the word that you speak. God, we're so thankful for your presence here today and we're so thankful for the things that you've done already today. And God, as the word comes, I thank you that you're bringing light to it and life and that you're gonna teach us some things about identity and our true value and our true worth today. In Jesus' name, amen. God is so good. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and get started, um, like I kind of just said there before. We're going to talk a little bit about identity, purpose, value, all those different things this morning um, as well. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start there in uh, verses 26 through 28. Now, a little bit later on, um, I'm going to have a few more scriptures. You don't have to turn to all of them, but if you want to write them down, that's great. Um, try to get you out of here by 12. We'll see. Pastor did a dangerous thing giving me a microphone because he never knows how long I'm going to start talking. You ever seen those movies where they take like a little, like a little pole and drag somebody off the stage? Brad's going to have to do that here soon if, I, if I'm not too careful. <laughs> Anyways, hopefully you're at uh, Genesis chapter 1 now. So we're going to go ahead and talk about the original intent and created value of man. This is something that God has been talking to me about um, for the last, I, man, probably a couple months now talking to me about what is, what is your value, what is your identity, what is your created purpose? Because I know that's something that, um, that's a question. A lot of people have that question. When I worked um, at my last job in Indiana and people found out that I was a preacher, that's one of the first things they'd ask is, well, so maybe you can ask, answer the great question, why are we here? I was like, yes, actually I can. Like, oh man, here we go. He's going to bring Jesus into it. Well, I have to. You have to bring Jesus into it. The problem that we run into is that we try to find purpose outside of God, and you can't do that. I said you can't find purpose outside of God. We were created by God for a specific purpose. I used to work on engines, all right? The engine didn't tell the driver what it was going to do and how it was going to function. The engine didn't say, well, today I'm going to grow legs, I'm going to walk off and make you walk to work. No, the driver put the key in the ignition, turned it, and then the engine turned on and served its created purpose. Its created purpose is to transfer energy inside of the engine, transfer that to a drive shaft, and take me from point A to point B. That's the created purpose of an engine. My created purpose is to transport God's glory all around the earth and transport God's love all around the earth. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, again, verses 26, 27, and 28, let's, let's read this really fast. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image, according to our very likeness, a spiritual personality and our moral likeness, and let him have complete authority over the fish, the birds, the cattle, the entire earth, everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of likeness of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. He says it three times, just in case we didn't get it the first two. And God blessed them, granting them authority, and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subjugate it, 
that means put it under your power, and rule over and dominate the fish, the birds, and everything that moves on the earth. So right there at the very beginning, God says, okay, first off, I'm going to make mankind, but he has to be made in my image. That's the very first thing God does. Okay, man, you've been created. So what does he do? He gets down and he creates man. What he did with all the other animals, if you look back, is he speaks to the earth and then the earth brings them forth. But what's different with man is because we're created in a different class than the animals. I'm not just an animal. I'm a being created in the image of God. God gets down with his fingers and starts forming clay, forming dust and dirt, just like that. And without the breath of God, though, it's just a piece of clay. It's just, it's, I mean, it's a sculpture. That's what it really is. Without the breath of God in that little lump of clay, there would be no Adam. There would be no Josh. There would be nobody. And that's, I think, a problem that some of us have. Again, like I said before, we try to find purpose outside of God, but we also try to find life and value outside of God. Without that breath of God, without that relationship, that spirit of God filling us, people have no purpose. That's why it's so difficult for people that don't know God to find any lasting value in anything, to feel alive. All those different people that I'd work with that didn't know God, man, I gotta do this, I'm gonna go skydiving to feel alive, I gotta get roller coasters, I gotta go get high, I gotta do shoot up some heroin to feel alive. You don't need that to make yourself feel alive. God in the beginning said, if you have my breath, if you have my relationship, you have me close to you, you have communion with me, that's when you're gonna feel alive and that's when you're gonna feel a purpose and do what you were created to do. That's what you're gonna do. That's the creative purpose of man. That's it right there. He gave them two things. He gave him his identity. You're created in my image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man's a three-part being. The spirit, the real me. The soul, the mind, intellect, emotions. And then my physical body. Right there. That's exactly the way he created it. And then he gave us authority. He gave us purpose. Be masters over this earth that I've given you. God creates man, says, hey, you're made in my image, and here's a gift. The whole world. Well, how about that? God's like, okay, you woke up, now you're conscious. Okay, here's who I am, here's who you are, and this is all for you. That's a pretty amazing gift. I mean, when I got married to my wife, I gave her a diamond wedding ring. When God gave me a relationship with him, he said, yeah, let's just forget the wedding ring. I'm gonna give you an entire earth. I'm gonna give you an entire world that you can rule over. Man was never meant to be a slave. Man was never meant to be a slave to God, to other people, to the devil, to sin, God created man to be a ruler over the earth in relationship with God. It's so important that we keep it that way. Genesis chapter 2 and 3 talk about how man has relationship with God. I, I love the fact that right away God starts speaking to Adam, and Adam doesn't go, oh my gosh, he's speaking to me. Or he doesn't also go, hmm, I wonder if I can hear God's voice. God just speaks, and Adam just starts responding. Adam just starts doing it. Because man was created to speak and talk to God. That's the way it was always designed to be. It wasn't designed to be, he didn't, he didn't come down to Adam and say, okay, Adam, we're going to have a relationship, and here's a 12-step plan on how you're going to start hearing my voice. Here's 45 scriptures that you have to start quoting in order to be worthy to hear my voice. He just comes down to him and says, hey, okay, I'm going to have you name all the animals. I'm going to have you rule and dominate over the earth. You're made in my image. Let's go do this. And then if you read, again, Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God takes the time to bring every single animal to him and then names them with Adam. He said, okay, name this one, Adam. Adam's like, hmm, this one's got a furry mane. It's got a tail. It's got some legs. 
lion. Let's call this one a lion. And God's like, yeah, yeah, a lion. Okay, how about this one? It's got a really long neck. What are you going to call this one? Sitting there waiting for it. Adam's like, giraffe. Let's call it a giraffe. And God's like, yeah, let's get the next one. With every single animal. Because God's not a taskmaster, God's not our boss. If he was Adam's boss, he would have said, here's all the animals, I'll see you later, have fun, I'll be back in a little while. That's not what he did. God wants relationship. The entire time that Adam was doing God's work, God was right there with him. Right there with him the whole time. And that's what God wants. From the beginning of the day to the end of the day, God wants relationship with us every step of the way. That means I should be having breakfast with God. I should have lunch with God. I should go to work with God and I should come back home from work with God. And every minute that I'm at work, I should have God coming out of me, speaking to me. You know, while I'm at work, when I was, I worked at a job in Indiana, like I said before, I saw some amazing things happen at work. There was uh, one particular time where a lady damaged like some cartilage in her wrist and I was walking by and she had a cast and God told me at work, not in a church, because God is everywhere and he lives inside of me. God said, ask her about her wrist. He already knew. He just wanted me to start a conversation. I was like, what happened to your wrist? And she was like, oh, you know, I got some damaged tendons or whatever. They had to remove a couple things. I was like, let me pray for you. She's like, what? I was like, let me pray for you, and let's, let's just watch what God is going to do. Why? Because God wants to be involved in every part of my day, and he wants to be involved in her part of her day. That's the thing about God. Even when we didn't love him, God still loved us. Because it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. That's the reason I can have a relationship with him. That's the reason I can hear his voice. That's the reason I can walk in healing. That's the reason for everything. That's the reason I can manifest love to people. So I prayed for this lady. Next day I walk into work, no cast. Because God loves her that much. A guy threw his back out. Prayed for him. Next day, totally fine. Completely fine. He was like, what did you inject me with? I was like, I didn't inject you with anything. That was just God, all right? That's what it was. Some guy hurt his shoulder. Another guy hurt his hand because he was a firefighter. God was just doing things over and over and over again. Because God wants to be a part of our day. Because people are valuable. God wouldn't, have, God wouldn't have stitched us together if we weren't valuable. He wouldn't have taken the time to get down there and create every little detail if we weren't valuable. Think about Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible because it talks about how in my mother's womb, before I was even a thought, before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, before the foundation of the world, God said, oh man, I'm so excited for Josh. Josh is going to be born December 3rd, 1993, in Wisconsin, in a cold room to Mary and Ted Marthy, and he's going to be awesome. Mike Lynn's going to be born in 1992. Tony, I'm not, I'm uh, 93, 93, I'll just stay away from that, I'll just stay away from that. She's like 27, all right, she's like 27. It's my mother-in-law, so I got I to gotta get some brownie points there. So what happened was, is God's thinking, okay, this is when he's going to be born, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make him. It says that he stitched me together in my mother's womb. God didn't just say, okay, here you go. Just throw it over there and be, boom, there it is. He took pleasure making every single muscle, making every single bone, forming my brain, giving me gifts, giving me talents, giving me personality. God took pleasure in that. If I don't see value in something, I'm not going to put any effort into it. If I don't see value in something, I'm not going to put any effort into it, and I'm not going to feel anything towards it. If I value something... This is so good. If I value something, I'm going to take care of it. 
I'm going to be very careful about the way I put it together. You ever seen a carpenter work on something before? About how he measures everything, measures it twice, marks it out, cuts very carefully. That's what God did with us. Never made a mistake. Stitched us together because we're that worth it to him. Think about this, though. Not only me, who's now in a relationship with him, but that guy next to me who hates God, cheating on his wife, doing all those awful things. God loves him the same exact amount as me because it's not about how righteous I am and what I'm doing right. It's about what Jesus did right. So God sees me and that guy through the same eye of love. The same exact eye of love because it's not about what he's doing. It's about his created value. God sees potential in people. Even if I don't see potential in that guy, I'm thinking, God, what you see in that guy? God says, my image. My image. That's what I see in that guy. And that's what I want you to start seeing. Because if I don't see the value in myself, I can't see the value in other people. And if I don't see the value in other people, I'm not going to share what God has given me with other people. That's why it's so important that we get back to the basics and why we figure out who am I really to God? Who am I really to God? Because it doesn't matter necessarily like what other people think about me. It matters what God thinks about me. This engine doesn't worry about what all the other engines are thinking about it. What does the designer think? What is the designer? What was the created purpose, created value for that engine? It's so important that we see other people this way. So important, because that's the most important thing to God. It's the only thing that he created like that. The only thing. The fall is what came next. We're going to talk about this really briefly. Um, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read through these really quick just so we can keep on moving. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any creature of the field that God had made. The serpent, who is now Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We can eat any tree of the garden except the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, do not eat or touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said, you will not die. For God knows that on the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that it was good, that it was delightful to look at, and the tree was desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took the fruit and ate it and gave some to Adam who was with her. Then the eyes of their understanding were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they fastened fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I want you guys to see the deception here, because this is something that we get into if we're not careful. And this was the deception that kept me away from God for a long time. Because it's really important that we understand, and God wants me to share this now. If I don't see any value in myself, then I'm going to have a really hard time with God, because I'm not going to think that God sees any value in me. And that's the thing that's holding some of us back from relationship with God, is if I think that I'm just, if I just think that I don't have any value, any worth, why would God want to invest any time in me? Why would God want to invest any time in me? If, I, if, I, if you know, God just sees something in here and it's important, then he's going to put time into it. But if not, why would he want to? So Satan tries to undermine that authority. He tries to undermine that identity in them. And I see four lies here that he told, her, that he told them. Number one, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? Right away, Satan attacks, yeah, you don't really hear God. You don't really hear God. And if you do hear God, you don't hear him correctly. You don't hear God. But if you think you really do, you don't hear him correctly. You thought he might have said, don't eat the tree. But how can you really be sure? 
How can you really be sure? He's questioning that. Right away, when God created them, he started speaking to them. They know that they can hear God. But Satan's bringing questioning into this and saying, are you really sure? Number two, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. What did God say a couple verses earlier? When you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Not fall over and die physically. There's going to be a spiritual separation that's going to happen because you're entering into sin. So what is, God, what is Satan accusing God of? Secondly, he said, God's lying to you. God's lying to you. And if God lies to me, does that mean I can trust him? This is opening up a whole bunch of new possibilities now. So if, if God doesn't speak to me, and if God does speak to me, he's lying to me, how can I believe that I'm created in the image of God? How can I believe that I'm valuable? How can I trust God? This is a lie that pervades the church and doesn't only pervade the church, but also pervades other people outside of the church. Because they have this view of God, that God is some, is some uh, self-righteous judge who's up there getting ready to, to clobber people. It's the exact opposite. God knew that we couldn't pay the penalty, so he got up out of the position of judge and went down around there and said, I'll take their punishment instead. It's the exact opposite of what it was. And the devil knows that, and he's trying to flip it around and saying, look, this is who God is. When God is saying already to them, this is who I have made myself, this is who I am, and this is who I've made you. He accuses God of not speaking to them, of lying to them, that he wants to withhold something from you. God knows that if you eat from this tree, you're going to be wise, just like him. God's jealous. He's, he's being selfish. He doesn't want you to have this gift. They already knew the difference between good and evil. God said, if you eat the tree, then that's evil. Don't eat the tree, that's good. He said, if you eat the tree, that's evil. If you don't eat the tree, then that's good. They already knew good and evil. Satan's saying, you need something that you don't have. And last, you will be just like God. Wait a second. You will be just like God? Didn't God create them in his image already? Wait a second. So the devil's saying, you're not already like God. You're not already like God. You have to do something in order to be like God. And that's the same exact lie that happens in the church today. I have to do righteous in order to be righteous. I have to follow all these steps in order to be worthy to receive the love of God. That's not the way it is. It's because of Jesus. Jesus was worthy in my place. He was righteous in my place. The Bible talks about how all of my righteousness doesn't add up to anything. Because if I missed it one time over my entire life, if I live 69 years, 364 days, perfect, and I never missed it one time, but that very last day, I missed it one time, I told one lie, my entire life has been a wash. The whole thing. I'm just as guilty as Adolf Hitler, just as guilty as Pol Pot, Joseph Stalin, all those dictators, mass murderers. I'm just as guilty as every single one of them. That's why Jesus had to come into the picture. Amen. And this is something I didn't get when I was younger. I thought, Jesus is a separate person. Jesus is the son of God. So him dying, how does that affect me? Because I'm not Jesus. So you're telling me that if I just feel something in here, if I, if I believe and if I pray, God, please forgive me. He's just going to magically wave a wand and it's all going to be good? No, no, no. It's, it's covenant. It's covenant. And this is what God had to show me. Just like I entered into covenant with my wife, we exchanged vows. That's what had to happen with me and Jesus Christ. I said, I do, to my wife when we were married. And then the two of us became one. One person. In covenant, that means that the two become one so that there's no separation. There's no division of here's Josh and here's Michaelin. There's no division whatsoever. Everything that Michaelin has becomes mine, and everything that I have becomes Michaelin. When you see one of us, you see both of us because we're Mr. and Mrs. Marthy. Mr. and Mrs. Marthy. 
Mr. and Mrs. Marthy. So whenever God sees us now, after we enter into relationship with Jesus, when we say, I do, Jesus. Because that's what God is saying. God is saying, I do. Now what about you? We're up here. It's kind of weird because I, I told the story last night. Sometimes like when God shows me stuff, he, sh- he showed me in this particular one in a dress. I'm standing up there like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It says that we're the bride of Christ. I'm like, this is just taking it too far, God. Come on, you got to stop doing this. This is just too far. Not that I looked bad in a dress. I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but I was up there. Jesus says, I do. And I say, I do. One. One person. One person. So now when God looks at us, he doesn't see Josh anymore. He sees Jesus and Josh. Jesus and Josh as one person. That's how he's able to justly get rid of all that sin because Jesus fulfilled it and now the two of us have become one. I'm not saying that I'm Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I've entered into covenant and everything that he's done now benefits me. That's how God is able to look past all that stuff. That's how he's able to look past all that stuff because it's already been forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not only for me, God is out there asking other people, I do, what about you? Think about those people in Syria that Jeff was talking about, those people that are gassing kids over there. God wants every single one of them. And he loves that person that's dropping bombs on those kids just as much as he loves me because it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. I can't afford to have a self-righteous attitude about this and think, man, I've been pretty good. <laughs> you know, I haven't, haven't been sinning too much, haven't killed anybody lately. Not that I've ever killed anybody. <laughs> I haven't killed anybody lately. Man, I'm pretty good. God must really think I'm doing great today. On my best day and on my worst day, God loved me the exact same. Whether I'm doing great today or whether I'm doing bad today, because it's not about what I do. It's about who he is in me. And it's about what he did for me. For all those other people, God doesn't see them for what they're doing. He sees them for who they are. That's so good. Do you you hear what I said? God doesn't see them for what they're doing. He sees them for who they are. He sees their potential, that diamond that needs to be polished off, that person who doesn't understand who they are, the people that nailed them to a cross. he He didn't throw anything against them. He said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had every single right to be mad at those people. He had every single right to be mad at the Jews. He was raising their dead. He was healing their sick. He was showing them the way to God. And then they said, crucify him. And not one time when he was going up to Golgotha to be crucified by them, did he have any bad words or any bad thoughts against them. Not one time. Not one time. But here I am. If somebody cuts me off in traffic, I get a little bit offended about that. You're trying to get ahead of me? You're trying to get ahead of me? You think that you're better than What? I can't afford to do that. That's a silly example. I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to do that. That, people, that person that's just right here, three feet from me, working next to me, has the same exact created value as me. If I don't see that, I'm not going to see any value in them, and I'm not going to try to help them. We can't withhold the love of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 talks about how we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, about how God doesn't hold the sins of the world against them about how I get to tell them God reconciled me and now he wants to reconcile you. The ministry of reconciliation. The old ministry in the Old Testament was condemnation. You guys, are, you guys have been doing bad stuff and now you have to follow these commandments or else. In the new covenant, I already took care of all that. I already took care of all that. Now what I get to do is I get to be adopted into the family of God. 
That's what the book of Ephesians says. Before the, before the foundation of the world, before the world was even formed, before God created Adam, he predestined, he chose ahead of time that Josh was going to be guiltless and blameless because of the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. Not only me, but all those people in the Middle East, Asia, Africa, Australia, all those different people, if they would enter into that covenant, would be holy and blameless. In love, he did all of that for them. He did all of that for me. Is this making any sense? Good. Very good. One thing that really struck me in the Garden of Eden is about how after, after they died spiritually, after they, after they committed sin for the first time, they went and hid themselves. And I asked God about it. Why did they hide themselves? I said, what do you think? I said, well, I mean, I don't know. You're a little bit smarter than me. Why don't, why don't you tell me? He said three things, and these things still pervade the modern church. Guilt, shame, condemnation. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. You know what guilt says? Guilt says I'm not forgiven. Shame says this is who I am and this defines me. And condemnation says I'm still worthy of punishment. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. Guilt says I'm not forgiven. Shame says this is who I am and this defines me. And condemnation says I deserve punishment for what I've done. That's what Adam and Eve were doing when they were hiding. Those three things hit them all at once. All at once, it just hit them and completely wrecked their identity, completely wrecked who they were. The modern church does that too. We have people that wake up with guilt, shame, and condemnation regretting yesterday. Regretting yesterday. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. When I wake up in guilt, shame, and condemnation. I'm not seeing correctly the sacrifice of Jesus. And I want everybody to understand, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at this. I'm saying this is something that God is teaching me and showing me and growing me in right now. That when I wake up with guilt, shame, and condemnation, I'm not seeing correctly the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. Because he took every sin, past, present, and future. It's not about trying to live a perfect day. It's about living that day with a perfect God. It's not about living a perfect day. It's about living my day, every day, with a perfect God, in communion with that God, growing in the knowledge of him, and experiencing God on a new level, on a deeper level, every single day. Not trying to be good enough for God today, but saying, God, you say that I'm already good enough. Because he chose me before the foundation of the world to be faultless and blameless, and he sees me through Jesus Christ. You chose me today to be blameless. So if I get to walk through every single day with that mindset, I can walk as a son, not as a slave trying to do the right things. Not trying to fulfill a law that I couldn't fulfill. I get to walk as a son. There's a big difference, there's an important difference between those two things right there. Really quick, I want to finish with the restoration of mankind and proper identity. Mark chapter 18, 11 and Luke 19, 10 say something that blew me out of my chair when I first read it. Because the, the thought is, well, why did Jesus come to earth? Yes, he came to, came to save us, he came to get us born again. But Matthew 18, 11 and Luke 19, 10 say that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. No, 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 you mean who, right? No, 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 Josh, it's who. No, it's Jesus came to save that which was lost because there's no who in this. It's not, I'm gonna save all you guys because you guys are good ones, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. I love you more than, oh man, Michaelin, she's a bad one. She's bad. You don't want to mess with her. She, she's, she's bad news. And all you guys, ah, I just don't really love you as much. You don't have as much value. No, it's not about that. 
He came to save that which was lost. What was that that was lost? My identity. My identity was what was lost in the fall. I became a slave to sin. I became a slave to flesh. I became a slave to the devil. My identity as a son was gone. Jesus came to restore that identity, and in restoring that identity, now I have the place that I do. Again, it's not just about me, though. It's about that person next to me. You know what I get to do every day? I get to take heavenly adoption papers and say, congratulations. You've been chosen. Next person, congratulations, you've been adopted. Congratulations, sign the bottom line. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Sign the bottom line, and you're in. But, 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 but I've been running from God for 30 years. Doesn't matter. God's been running towards you and running after you for 30 years. He's not going to give up and he's not going to get tired. God's been running after you for 30 years and he's going to run after you the next 70 years. Every single day, he's going to be one step behind you, waving the papers at you saying, hey, come back to me. Come back to me. The prodigal son never lost his potential while he was in pig slop. He never lost his place in his father's heart. He never lost. When he came home, his father met him with a ring and a robe. The rings signified authority, and the robe signified identity. A beggar is back in the Old, in, uh, the, the old Testament. The people that were blind would have to wear special robes to signify who they were. So this guy comes running home with a robe filled with pig slop, with filthy animals. Because the pigs were filthy to a Jew. You couldn't eat a pig. You weren't supposed to be around pigs. They were unclean. He came out of the foulest thing. And his father met him on the road and didn't go, Ooh, you smell bad. Oh, man, you look, you look terrible. What happened to you? He's like, let's get rid of that robe. Let's give you a new identity. Let's restore that identity that you rightfully deserve. And let me give you this ring. Put that on your finger. He's like, but I don't deserve it. I should be a slave. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because it's not about what you did. It's about who you are. It's about who you are at this very moment. You're still a son because your actions don't define you. They don't. They don't. Actions don't define you. We get into this, we get into this mindset sometimes, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, and the people gave me kind of weird looks last night when I said it. So I want you to follow me here for a second. My restoration to my created value should have a corresponding lifestyle change. And let me get this first one out of the way first. Let me get this out of the way. It is not okay anymore for me to identify as a sinner. What are you saying there, Josh? Listen, the ability to sin, the ability to sin does not make me a sinner. I could go rob a bank in Elma right now if I wanted to, but I won't. That's not who I am. My ability to go shoot somebody in Breckenridge does not make me a murderer. My ability to do that does not make me. My ability to sin does not change my identity into that of a sinner. The book of 1 John says that if I have relationship with God, I should walk in the exact same way that he did. And listen, I'm not talking about legalism here. Because what I got into when God first showed me this is first unbelief, because I'm like, that's not true. Yes, it is. Romans chapter 5, 6, and 8 tell you very clearly. I was like, well, I have to live perfect. No, 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 it's not about living perfect, and it's not about trying to be perfect. It's what I talked about before, growing every single day. Romans chapter 6, 1, I should not continue in sin because it says I died to sin. What? I died to sin. In Jesus, there is no sin. It's not my nature anymore. 
It's not my nature. I don't wake up to sin and I don't wake up to satisfy my flesh. Romans 6, 6 through 7. My old self is crucified with him. Think of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He who is in Christ is a new creation, brand new. That old identity is gone. Romans 6, 11 through 14. I reckon myself dead to sin and do not let it rule me anymore. I could give you a whole bunch more verses. 1 John 2, 1. Beloved, if anyone sins. No, 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 when you sin, Josh. No, if you sin. It's not your nature, so on the off chance that you goof up and do sin, come right back to God and there's forgiveness for it. If you sin. I'm not talking about perfection. It's really easy to get into that here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I wake up in a position of a son every morning and I don't wake up to sin. I don't wake up to sin and try to satisfy myself with worthless things that won't actually satisfy me. I wake up in a position of, God, you're amazing. I can have a relationship with you and be satisfied with you today. I can be satisfied with you today, not trying to sin and get away with it. I can be satisfied with you today. You know how we feel whenever, whenever we do goof up, whenever we mess up, when we sin, we're just like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I wasn't supposed to do that. That's because that's not our created value. That's not who we're created to be. Think about that engine example again. If that engine is misfiring on a cycle, on a cylinder, it's not firing, not working to its fullest capacity, it's not serving its full created value. As a Christian, I'm misfiring if I'm walking in sin. I'm not, does that make sense? I'm not living to my full potential. Again, I'm not saying that I'm perfect because I'm growing in this, I'm walking in this, but I'm waking up in my position, my mindset has changed every morning when I wake up. I wake up thinking, oh man, I gotta try not to sin. I'm gonna try not to sin today. I wake up and say, okay, God, what are we gonna do today? What do you wanna do today, God? And he says, here's some adoption papers. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. I have the ministry of reconciliation now. But if I don't think that I've been reconciled, if I don't think I've been reconciled, if I don't see this clearly, I'm not going to share it with anybody because I'm not, I'm not sure about what I even have. That's why we have to grow this in ourselves. We have to listen. We have to get down at God's feet because Holy Spirit's a teacher. Holy Spirit's a teacher and he wants to show us things. He wants to show us things that are to come and he wants to bring back all things that he's spoken to our remembrance. And he wants to manifest himself in the here and now every day. Every day. Whether that's just talking to him, talking to another person. Every single day. My wife and I had the privilege to pray for a girl recently. She's pregnant and she had scoliosis. God told me about her back that was messed up. She had something wrong with her spine. She didn't even believe in God. She didn't have faith to be healed. But my Bible says that believers lay hands on the sick. So there's the faith we need right there. Went over and placed my hand on her back. She straightened up. What'd you do? It's not about what I did. It's about what he did. It's not about what I did. It's about what he did. God fixed her spine and she doesn't love him. You know why she doesn't love him? Because she doesn't know him. The reason that other people outside of the church and even sometimes inside the church don't act in love and don't act the way we'd like them to is because they don't know God, because they're hurting. And hurting people hurt other people because they don't know anything else. So my response in that situation is not to be hurt. And I love what a, a gentleman, a minister named Todd White says. He says, you can't let the sin against you produce sin within you. Don't let the sin against you produce sin within you. They have no control over what I do. I have control over my own response. 
There's no excuse for me to fly off the handle and to be all rude and, 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 and mean back to them unless I don't know my identity. That's the truth, and that's, that's what I want to start growing in more and more and more, where every time that happens, that I respond out of who he is, not out of who I was. That every time I respond out of who he is and who he made me to be, not the old Josh, because the old Josh has passed away, is crucified with Christ. That's what I live out of, and that's what I respond out of. Went a little bit over time, so I do apologize about that. It's like 10 minutes after 12. So I just have one or two more things, and then we'll go ahead and finish up. Justified in the Bible means just as if I never sinned. If I've been justified before God, what does that mean? It means that God sees me as if I never ate the tree. It means that God sees me as if Adam never ate the tree. That's the original intent, and that's what I'm trying to get across to everyone today. It's so important how you see yourself. We have to see ourselves through who God says. And if God says that I'm holy, righteous, blameless, guiltless, if I see myself through that, that's going to have a change in my lifestyle. That's going to have a change in the way that I approach God. I'm not going to approach God on my hands and knees begging God not to smite me, not to, not to do all these things. I'm not going to go in expecting God to make me sick. God doesn't make me sick. You kidding me? God's a good father. It says that his love for us makes our love for our own children seem evil. I love my daughter, and I'd never make her sick. God's love is way beyond that. He would never make me sick. He would never take your family member from you. I lost an uncle to cancer. God didn't do that. I lost my grandmother to leukemia. God didn't do that. It's because there's an enemy out there. But if I see God as this person who's taking my family, who's, who, doesn't see, who, doesn't, who doesn't love me enough, that's the way I might respond. That's the way I might respond. God's just doing this to me. God's trying to teach me something. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. God poured everything on Jesus. The problem is there's an enemy out there. And the enemy is going to do those four things we talked about before. You don't hear God's voice. You can't trust God. All those different things when God is saying, that's not who I am. Why would you listen to the serpent when I'm standing right here? Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your spirit, for your, oh, thank you so much, God, that you said in your word that you've made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Regardless of what we could do, regardless of what we did, and regardless of what we're going to do, God, you love us always. And that there is nothing that we could ever do to make you love us more or less. God, I thank you that you would seal these words spoken today by your Holy Spirit inside of, inside of all my brothers and sisters here in the congregation today, God, that you would speak to them throughout this week. God, that you would call them away to their prayer closet while they're at work, while they're driving to and from. God, help us to see who we are and help us to walk out who we are and help us, God, to see other people the way that you see them. God, don't let us look at the outward appearance, but let us look at the inward appearance just like you. Let us see them for who they are, not what they do. Every day, God. Every day, God. In Jesus' name. So that's all I have. Um, one thing I like to do.